0: summer is here and we're as busy as ever at the dsr network our podcast schedule has expanded to include the dsr daily brief dsr foreign policy dsr politics the dsr spy show words matter foreign office with michael weiss next in foreign policy and the secret life of cookies to celebrate our expansion we're bringing you this special offer through the month of june membership is 50 percent off Members receive an ad-free listening experience, bonus content across all of our podcasts, an evening newsletter, an invitation to join the DSR Slack community, and more. To take advantage of this offer, visit thedsrnetwork.com slash buy and enter code DSRexpands, all one word. That's thedsrnetwork.com slash buy and code DSRexpands. Thank you for your support. 9
1: 12 10 28 2 23 This is Deep State Radio, coming to you direct from our super secret studio in the third sub basement of the Ministry of Snark in Washington DC and from other undisclosed locations across America and around the world. Hello, and welcome to the podcast. Happy Juneteenth. We're recording this on Juneteenth. Uh, Today, we are going to have a discussion that is right on the news, Uh, and we have a great guest to do it. But before I get to our guest, let me uh, say that uh, I'm David Rothkopf. I'm here in Washington, D.C., and I am joined by my uh, co-host, Mark Polymeropoulos, who has just returned from watching the Red Sox play in Boston. I think he's back in the Washington, D.C. area. How are you doing today, Mark?
2: I have a big smile on my face. The Red Sox swept the Yankees. We had uh, uh, a great time up in, uh, up in Fenway, you know, going up with my son for, for Father's Day. And, uh, you know, hey, there are only three games back in the wild card. So so baseball is back. The Red Sox are back. And the Yankees stink. So the world is good. The world is right
1: Yeah, well, the Yankees stink, I have to say. I'm consoling myself watching Shohei Ohtani every day.
2: A future Red Sox. Yeah, in your
1: dreams. dreams. Um, Anyway, um, uh, we can discuss that later. Uh, But our guest today is Jim Petrilla. He retired from the CIA in late 2018, where he worked in the Office of General Counsel for 25 years, uh, he dealt with a wide variety of the legal issues uh, confronting the agency and the operations directorate, and many of them are in the news right now. Uh, welcome, Jim.
3: Well, thank you very much. And I, I just add that um, you know, while you complain about the Red so- about the Yankees and the Red Sox, I went to uh, one of the Nats games against the Marlins over the weekend and um, I discovered that if you go to a baseball game with absolutely no expectations, you won't be disappointed.
1: Uh, no no kidding. I'm going on Tuesday to see the Mets, about whom I don't really care very much, play the Brewers, about whom I don't care at all. Yeah. <laughs> uh, once, once a year, I take my sons-in-law to a ball game, um, and that's 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 gonna be my my game for the year um uh anyway, uh, before we get to all of this uh Mark, you were quoted in the New York Times uh thus putting the lie to their slogan, all the news that's fit to print um but uh uh w- w- why don't we talk a little bit about why that was and use that as a springboard for this conversation?
2: Sure. So, you know, it, it, and this all is actually based on a previous guest of ours from last week, Calder Walton, who wrote a book called Spies. And in the book and towards the end of it, in, in you know, in the 400 and something page, for those who have read it, it's fantastic. Um, he talks about uh, uh, kind of this famous case back, uh, uh, you know, what, several decades ago in which um, the U.S. wrapped up a whole bunch of Russian illegals. These are individuals, Russian intelligence officers who were not under diplomatic cover. They were working as in, in some fashion, and and it was a pretty celebrated uh, 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 exchange there. Well, the it, li- it led to
1: the TV show The Americans.
2: That's right, right. And so the individual, uh, reportedly, um, you know, per 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 the press, I have to be very careful on that. The uh, the it was an agent of ours, a, a Russian. Um, who compromised these these Russian illegals. Well, he eventually was resettled in the United States and uh, Calder Walton in his book, and then the New York Times, Adam Goldman and some others uh, this morning, um, put out a report noting that uh, Vladimir Putin and the Russian intelligence services had sent uh, uh, an operative to the United States in order to uh, surveil um, this resettled uh, 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 agent of ours. And so it's the notion, again, and my comment was that Vladimir Putin um, despises traitors and even in the U.S. is seeking to hunt down and to kill uh, uh, those Russian intelligence officers who we recruited and then resettled. And, you know, this was, this is a bit of a change in terms of the, the whole espionage game. You know, there's there were obviously CIA officers who defected to Moscow and there were KGB, uh, you know, and SVR officers who defected to the United States and, and resettled. And generally... Both sides don't touch them. Well, Putin has changed the rules of the game. So I gave a quote. It's gotten a whole bunch of uh, uh, of of kind of interest. Um, but it certainly uh, you know shows that Russia is different than they were you know, maybe 20 years ago in the sense of the, the games, the, the rules of the game have changed and that, you know, it's going to be incumbent on the United States and U.S. security officials to keep those who, worked for us and we're now resettled in the United States to keep those, those individuals safe. And that's a, it's a pretty, pretty serious challenge.
1: Is that really true? Is that, is that really true? I just want to ask you, Jim, I, I know you, you, I think you majored in Russian studies and you followed some of these things. Um, uh, when I used to run foreign policy magazine, it was across the street from the DuPont circle hotel. Um, and uh you know, there was a Russian visitor there who uh, died uh, under suspicious circumstances. I, I think the police ruled it a suicide, and he had blunt force trauma to the back of his head or some kind of kind of thing like that. And there have been other incidents like this, so it's not exactly like the first time they've been trying it, is it?
3: Yeah, you know, I think that uh, their their effort to murder the Skripals in um, Salisbury a number of years ago, um, well, I think 2017 or 2018 when that, that hit was attempted, using Novichok, I mean, you know, a, a banned chemical weapons substance um, is an indication that, um, you know, there may have been rules in the past, but with the current regime, I'm not sure that you can say that there are.
1: Yeah, Novachuk, by the way, is the uh, favorite secret ingredient at uh, at Mark's favorite restaurant, the Vienna Inn. I don't know if you know that.
2: Jim has been there. Yeah. <laughs> um,
1: yeah. Um well it comes with a a, he- a health warning. Mark, why don't you kick it off with Jim with the sure. kind of subjects that you wanted to to cover
2: today? Absolutely. So so first of all, it, it's great to have Jim here. You know, it, it's so interesting because when you when you think of CIA and you think of CIA operations, you know, um, no offense to Jim and his uh, and his, uh, his colleagues in, in, um, in the legal profession. But you think of CIA case officers, you think of CIA paramilitary officers, you think of you know agents that we ran. You don't necessarily think of lawyers. But I will quote George Tenet from his book um, at the center of the storm. And he said, despite what Hollywood might have you believe in tough situations, you don't call on the tough guys. That would be me. Uh, you call in the lawyers. And I love that. And, and, and truth be told, Jim was one of the, in my view, in my 26 years, one of the great lawyers in, in, uh, who worked alongside director of operations officers. Um, he did a couple of things that were, were really important. First of all, I was a pain in the butt. You know, I always I, I always wanted him to say yes when something risky was was attempted. But he had a really effective you know, mantra. And that was um, I'm going to get you to yes, but you're going to follow my lead you know is so we'll get to do what you want to do, but you got to do it legal. we're going to keep you out of jail um, you know and uh, uh, and so the lawyers that we had were as integral um, as any uh, uh, in 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 running really kind of high impact operations and so it's it's great to have Jim here today. I don't think a lot of people I don't think the American people understand that um the importance of the the legal profession at the agency, although I guess if you see that ridiculous new show. What's it called? The Recruit? I think it shows a CIA hero lawyer running operations. But uh, anyhow, Jim, awesome awesome to be here. Um, why don't you go over just a little bit at first? We're gonna, we'll get into the, a couple of the, kind of the big issues of the day, but um, give us a sense of what it was like being a lawyer uh, uh, and working with, with you know, uh, unreasonable, cranky, and very impatient folks like myself.
3: Well, you know, it was actually, uh, it was really interesting, always challenging. Uh, well, first, uh, I should say thank you for the kind words. Um, um, and the, you know, the approach that, uh, I was not the only one, you know, my colleagues took this approach is, my you know, very good colleagues took this approach, which was, um, if you give us an explanation of what you want to accomplish, right, let's look at the goal. And then we'll try to work backwards from there to make sure that uh, the way in which you accomplish that goal is consistent with um, CIA's authorities. And, um, you know, I know we're, I mean, eventually we'll talk about Section 702. Um, uh, the intelligence community remains a very heavily regulated industry. And I don't think that deregulation is going to come anytime soon. And the regulations really are, Uh, Critical to ensure that um, what agencies like CIA, NSA, uh, NGA, NRO, the whole uh, alphabet soup of agencies, that what we do is consistent with with the role of an intelligence community, a specific agency within a democracy. And... um, um, Robust oversight from the Hill is important. Internal oversight is important. And so lawyers within an organization like CIA play, um, kind of a dual role that, and, and, and it can be a very difficult balance to strike. On the one hand, um, you know, we're part and parcel of operational decision making, and we have to be, um, you know, to ensure that, that operations are conducted within our, within our authorities. And on the other hand, because of that, the flip side is that there's a certain internal oversight function that, that is, that is um, um, accomplished as well. Um, and the two of them, you know, you can, can you know, occasionally I would find myself in conflict with myself, like, okay, operationally, I know we want to do this, but, but legally we can't just get there like you know bam i mean there has to be some consideration and and maybe some limitations so that you can't get all of what you want to do but you can certainly get there
1: most of the time how do you feel about Mark's denigrating the idea of lawyer heroes
3: (laughs) that's fine that's fine um it's far better to be far better to play a low-key role um um, now, I have not seen any of, of the episodes of The Recruit, but um, from what I've heard, it's, it's not particularly good. And, in fact, I, uh, I got an email from one of the – I'm, I'm an adjunct at GW, George Washington University Law School. And after the first episode, I got an email from uh, one of the students who had taken a class that I teach on, um, based on John Rizzo's book, Company Man. Uh, and as an aside, if you really want a good sense of what it's like to be a lawyer at CIA – um Rizzo's book, The Company Man, is, is about as good as it gets. John sadly passed away a couple of years ago, I think way too early. Anyway, so I teach a course at GW that's based pretty much on, uh, on on John's book. And I have a variety of guest speakers that come in. Mark was one of them. So one of the students in this class sent me an email and said, Professor Petrilla, something that I'm still getting used to being called professor. Um, I watched the show. And um, I irritated everybody that was also watching it with me because I told them none of this stuff legally could have happened. <laughs> so I thought, well, I guess I reached at least one student with, uh, with what it's like to be a lawyer at CIA.
1: Well, so, so my serious question picks up on something you said before, and it was one of the things we wanted to touch upon here. Uh, Section 702 hangs in the balance you get inside the beltway and you get inside the intelligence community, people have very strong opinions on this and why this is such a a useful tool uh, in in terms of things like combating terrorism. Um, But outside the beltway, I suspect understanding of what it is falls off fairly precipitously. um, And it doesn't seem like a heated debate. Should anybody outside the Beltway care about this?
3: Yeah, you know, I think so. I think so. Um, 702 is um, an extraordinary capability, and it provides um, a statutory underpinning for, uh, you know, what you could call programmatic collection, right? And, you know, what's programmatic collection? Uh, It means collecting um, against a broad variety of topics, including counterproliferation, Counterterrorism, um, now cyber crimes—you um, know a whole list of of, of topics like that. And um, what 702 does is it allows the intelligence community, and and this is primarily NSA, FBI, and CIA, and and the National Counterterrorism Center, but they they're, they're kind of a um, you know, a minor adjunct to this, I think, if the people at, over at the Directorate of National Intelligence don't get upset by, by saying that. But it's primarily um, NSA, which is the program lead, um, FBI and CIA that take advantage of Section 702. And um, it allows the government to compel Internet service providers, common carriers, people that run the, you know, companies that run the backbone um allows them to compel cooperation by those companies to provide certain targeted um communications, um, whether email or you know um primarily data, um a little bit of voice, but primarily data, um, against a broad range of critical collection topics, targets um that are you know really important for our national security. So um, yeah, I mean, you know, is it primarily an inside the Beltway issue? Yeah, but to the extent that national security affects the entire country, then it it becomes an issue that I think um, uh, people do need to at least be aware of.
2: One thing on this, let let me just kind of go, go back, and this is this is going to be exactly along my my earlier comments. So this is a certainly a big legal issue, and so this is why we're talking about this yeah. with Jim today, and I'm gonna I'm gonna ask a couple questions on that, but. But from the operator standpoint, again, this is what I did. So I I ran a unit at CIA headquarters, which really used 702 collection um, in what we call the find, fix and finish mission, which is finding terrorists, fixing their location and then, frankly, killing them. Now, not necessarily CIA doing it, but assisting perhaps uh, the U.S. military partners in doing so. That, frankly, is of extraordinary importance to the United States. And I will tell you right here, and this has been released um, by by, uh, uh, by the by the administration, this is how we killed Ayman Zawahiri, the head of Al Qaeda. It was using 702 collection. So if the head of Al Qaeda met his you know uh, you know uh, his demise based on 702, I can't think of a more compelling argument. And from the operator standpoint, we need this. What gets really kind of strange, and Jim, perhaps you can you can jump in here, is there's kind of a confluence of, of the right, the kind of the extremes on the right and left that hate 702. Mm-hmm. Can you give us a sense why that is? Um, well, and, and, and with that strange political dynamic, you know, what, you know so how do we reach the American people to for them to understand how important is this, the importance of 702?
3: Yeah. Um, so I think that um, the strange confluence, the ACLU who's always been opposed to 702, And part of that is the way in which Section 702 came into being, right? And I don't want to go totally down, um, you know, a long lane of how did we get here, but if you look at the original Foreign Intelligence Surveillance Act, FISA, uh, drafted, passed in in 1978, um, and the purpose of FISA was to ensure that collection that occurred in the United States. Was regulated. Right. Uh, there are a couple of cases. One, my my favorite case name is United States versus United States District Court. Right. How can you have a case like that Name only in America? It's known as the Keith case, and that involved um, unwarranted, which is to say, collection without a warrant, a collection in the United States by NSA directed at um, US persons who were protesting the Vietnam War, right? It's the essence of it. And the Supreme Court said, no, if you're doing something like that for law enforcement purposes, you need a warrant. So how do you handle the foreign intelligence collection aspect? Um, Keith case was passed and it was uh, decided in 1972. Six years later, it took six years to draft the Foreign Intelligence Surveillance Act. Why? Because NSA was involved in a long standing programmatic collection program that was directed at collecting against international satellite uh, communications. And uh, the the whole Intel sat um, constellation of satellites was how international communications were transmitted. And so FISA was drafted very specifically to exclude, exclude that NSA collection program. Right. Right. Um, And that was all done through the definition process, a difference between radio communication on the one hand, which meant satellite and wire communication on the other, which meant wire communications geographically in the United States. Now, very quickly, you know, I mean, in in statutory terms, the technology changed. Satellites became yesterday's communication mode with the advent of um, fiber optic cable. So what you had was a definitional structure that that was um, made irrelevant by technological advances. Okay, so one definition excluded satellite. The same communication, if it was transmitted via fiber optic cable, became subject to a FISA order. And that meant that there was a real problem through the 90s, right, as this communication changed. Well, after 9-11... Uh, The Bush administration decided rather than to seek an amendment to FISA that would normalize these two types of communication, um, they decided to basically do a kind of a hocus pocus and um, do an executive amendment of the statute so that wire and radio communications were treated the same. Uh, Stellar Wind was the name of that, that program. Right. So when that program was exposed in 2005, it caused a real shitstorm. If I can say this on your program, Dave, that's OK. Um, and 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 so in order to deal with this discrepancy and it was a significant discrepancy, right, because, um, you know, in in the run up to 9-11, you had a group of people in Germany, right, in um, in Hamburg the Mohammed Atta cell, communicating with with people in the United States. And because those communications were transmitted via cable rather than satellite, it was much more difficult for NSA to collect. them. Okay. So that was what the Bush administration changed by executive fiat. Rather than seek an amendment to FISA immediately after 9-11, which would have addressed all this stuff, they waited and tried to do it in a sneaky Pete kind of way. And and um and then when they were called out on it, the question was, okay, we need to amend the statute. How do you amend the statute? That's where 702 comes in. You still need to protect the programmatic collection that NSA was involved in because of the value of it. But in the meantime, you have the explosion of the Internet. And so how do you ensure that the collection program that is authorized via statute through the amendment of FISA is done in a way that protects U.S. person privacy and U.S. person interests. And that's how 702 kind of came about, which I guess is a little bit of a long answer to your question, Mark. But what it meant was that when Section Section 702 was passed, um, kind of the the intelligence community was wrong-footed. And that it was passed because of revelations of a very aggressive collection program that the Bush administration had implemented as a result of 9/11, in a way that was done, you know, through administrative action rather than, I think, what a conservative or not even conservative, what a what a a more long-term looking legal approach would have recommended, which was why don't you just amend the statute and at a time politically when it's favorable so you can come up with the kind of solution that 702 ultimately came up with. Is that clear? I mean, I hope I haven't lost everyone with you know something that I'm probably way too immersed in.
1: <laughs> no, no, it's it's very clear and it's very important that people understand what this is. Yeah. Uh, there is always a tension on issues like this between national security and personal privacy. Yeah. Uh, and trying to strike a balance has been the goal. The Biden administration supports renewing 702, I believe. Um, And um, you've got people on both the far right and the far left with their reasons for not doing it, because it sounds to the far right like a tool of the deep state, Uh, and it sounds to the ACLU like a a mission to violate um, privacy rights. Uh, But it's a big issue, um, and uh, it is looming over us once again. Uh, this is the point in the show where we take a break and we say thanks to everybody in the general public for joining us. Um, and uh, if you want to listen to the whole show, all you have to do is become a member. You go to uh, the dsrnetwork.com, you click on membership, it's five bucks a month, and you get 33% more content. Every show, you know, you get the, the, the extra bonus section at the end. Uh, and that's often the very, very best part. So now's the time to go and do that if you're in the general public. And then you can come back and listen to the rest. For the rest of you who are our members, for whom we are grateful, stand by.